Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with Dinesh Kandanchata, who's the president and interim CEO at Winful Geotech. And we talked to him about their prospect generation model using data and his uh, track record, formerly uh, coming from the technology space. He thinks that he's got a new way of looking at things. Uh, we talked through uh, the timing of revenue, cash, etc., or whether this is a get rich slow scheme. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of companies and commodities. We've got training courses on there, and we do summaries of all the interviews that we do, just to save you some time, because we know you're busy people. Uh, But most excitingly of all, we have a wonderful, thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly, and safe environment, free from all that judgment, trolling, and abuse you may see elsewhere. If that sounds nice to you, and I hope it does, go and join them, cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. There's a bit of a wait list at the moment because uh, we've had a deluge of applicants, um, but it will be open soon to you. So do uh, wait. It's well worth the wait. Dinesh, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Well, thanks for joining us. Where are you? I'm based in Toronto. Fantastic. Okay. And uh, we're going to hear today uh, about, we've explained a few companies like this, claiming various capabilities. So I'm intrigued because I, I, I do love a, an AI story, a technology story. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to hear all about it. Why don't you kick me off though for um, perhaps give people a bit of an idea. Give us a 30 second, one minute overview and I'll pick it up from there. Sure. Uh, Windfall Geotech is a technology company uh, that has spent the last 15 years um, in the base metals um, um, exploration sector uh, using a combination of um, data science and machine learning to try to extract uh, drill targets uh, based on public and proprietary data. So that's the history of the business. The business was for the many, I mean, over a hundred projects, over 30 bona fide discoveries validated in the market. Um, uh, and that was as a, as, as a geotechnical services company. Um, two years ago, I joined the business um, as a chairman to uh, take advantage of a, a pretty interesting emerging opportunity. My, my background's in the technology sector. I was the founder, one of the founders and CTO of Patriot One Technologies, which was uh, um, in the public sec- safety space. And there was an application of, uh, of, of Windfall's technology in, for landmine and landmine detection, uh, which is a real, uh, a real challenge um, and a scourge on a lot of parts of uh, the developing world. And so I joined really to try to figure out how I could make a difference using um, using that algorithm. And in the course of the last, you know, COVID hit, and um, in the course of due diligence, as I learned more and more about the business, I, I realized that there was a really a lost opportunity with this company as a mechanism of creating, you know, what is now what I learned is called the project generator model in the resource sector. So I'm not a resource sector guy. I'm a tech guy. I built you know, eight, nine technology companies over the last 25 years. I've taken two public. I've sold two uh, uh, for one for over 200 million, uh, one for over 40 million. So I'm a tech guy through and through. Um, 
And so learning about the resource sector. And so there's what uh, question emerged. What if you could generate projects based on public data with zero carbon, i.e. using technology, cloud computing and carbon offsets to be able to, um, to, be able to provide high resolution drill targets for, um, for companies so that they could take down their carbon footprint during the early stages of exploration. So that was the thesis. Um, and today that's what we're executing on. And uh, we do that in three ways. One is we take, we are a performance or outcome-based business. So we take equity positions in each of our, each of the projects we participate in. Uh, we um, also where uh, we can, where we own a claim, we will take an NSR. And, um, and then the third thing we do is we are building um, what we believe will be the, um, the data platform for the resource sector in the form of leveled, normalized public data um, that will allow kind of future exploration to be done more and more digitally. Today, you know, geologists um, are, use a, have a, a nice toolkit, but it primarily requires them being in GIS software and working kind of data point by data point. Um, what we want to do is use, um, use cloud computing and use data science to be able to transform that into, into the kind of, into a new world where hopefully we believe you can generate targets much more quickly, drill less, less holes in the ground. That's, that's one of our goals. Got it. Hence the carbon neutral component. Okay. Yeah. Um, or zero carbon, however you frame, framing it. Yeah. So, so there's a few companies out there who, are using a similar model. Okay, we've had them on the show. Um, mm -hmm. The bit that they haven't had to this is the way that they, way you framed it today, which is talking about you know zero carbon as a benefit to the companies and benefit, well, just benefit generally to, to all concerned. Um, can I? Okay, so it's, it's kind of interesting actually the, the, the way you framed that. Can I just talk about the and maybe an outlier or maybe a future revenue stream, but the the the, the landmine detection component. So mm -hmm. obviously that stands out. We, you know, we typically, you know, and you are getting into the, the resource sector. So wh where's that in terms of your, um, you know, time, attention and, you know, the, the business model today? Yeah, good question. So, you know, where we are, the nature of these kinds of problems, so, so I'll give a little context on the landmine problem, um, you know, landmines um, or unexploded ordnance. You know, this is a, this has been around for um, a century, more than a century now. Um, you know, first first kind of this kind of um, explosive was World War One, and so the, the shocking thing for me as a, um, a as a person who operates in the public safety uh, sector is that you know, there's still these World War One landmines out there, and you know, somewhere between 110 and 130 million, depending on um, the um, you know, the count of these things around the world, um, which is an astronomical number, all things considered. Um, and so the landmine component for us is really about the core R&D and uh, we do in our, in our algorithm. Our algorithm doesn't know what it's looking at. Right? It, it, it's, it's looking at um, a data signature in the ground. So as we optimize our data model, um, we should be able to, you know, move both the landmine component and our core resource component at the same time. What 
The difference is, is that the landmines have a completely different channel to market. So we've partnered with a company called Dragonfly, which is in a drone, a drone provider uh, that is servicing um, the U.S. military. And, and we're working with them to develop an operational product that can take our algorithm with their autonomous drones and deploy them into, um, into operation or in, in theater operations in you know, the Middle East and Eastern Europe, Ukraine, um, all these kinds of locations. Where we are in the process right now is where we've completed a successful uh, proof of concept. We are now um, out working with NATO and the Canadian government to try to um, secure uh, a funding um, a, a project funding for us to do a field trial. And, you know, upon completion of a field trial, we'll be looking for a partner to work with us to take this and bring it to market. So it's another project in our project generator. Um, and we believe it's a, you know, it's a, you know, 700 and odd million dollars a year spent on landmine um, extraction and decontamination. Uh, so that's a very, uh, if, if you're the only provider or the major provider, that's a very successful business. Well, it is, but you, you won't be the only major major provider, and you've got to get the business. So that, that's I'm, I'm intrigued about. Well, this. we get the royalty, so we we still want to look at it as a royalty. So we will license our technology right. to a you know a Lockheed or a General Dynamics or an Allied Allied to um, with the drones together, and then we'll get a percentage of every deal. Fantastic, but again, you're not the only player in town. We, we, we've spoken to to people in this, and you know, in fact, you know, over over the years, there are lots of people coming up with solutions for this because, like you say, it's a big chunk of money to go chasing after. And if you can capture yep. some of it, it's great news. So, is that costing you money to do? I mean, as Dragonfly, no, that's the great thing. That's the great thing about the way that our tech works on the AI side. Optimizations on our um, on our resource sector work has the spillover effect on our landmines work. And so our partnership with Dragonfly allows us to, um, uh, again, uh, leverage their drones. So, the, so we leverage their drones in exploration to do zero carbon uh, data augmentation. And we also can leverage their drones to, uh, uh, to work on, on how we can uh, deploy the same exact same technology platform but with a different algorithm in the back end. So it's really, really high leverage. So it doesn't require incremental investment. It just requires us continuing to build a platform that allows us to go out and look for different things that are in the ground. Today, we're very successful on base metals where you know, we have a good track record on precious metals. We are starting to validate landmines. And then maybe there's further types of things that are in the ground that we could that are very valuable. Water comes to mind. Other things come to mind that we can start thinking about once we get this stuff figured out. Right. Okay. Good. And so I just want to I just want to yeah, get yeah, into it because yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, let's uh, get into it. <laughs> really interested. So the the relationship with Dragonfly that obviously their uh, the arena in which they play is around you know military, and you, you you've talked about the way that they've they've got inroads into and provide services for. Uh, for for that, you're saying you're also using Dragonfly because it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a drone, right? Yep. To uh, to identify other kind of like base metals or natural it's data augmentation. Because exactly, we want right? to yeah, we want to start with public data, but then you know there's holes, and so you need to go in and right. kind of 
Okay, so they're happy to kind of move away from their kind of core revenue into other things because it's... Well, actually, we have a partnership to act. So we are their provider in the mining sector. So as part of their core business plan, they have a bunch of pillars. One of their pillars is education. Another pillar is health. Another is um, a public safety. And the last is the resource sector. So we are we are their chosen partner in the resource sector. Cool. How big are they? Um, they, I don't know the exact numbers on them. I do know that they um, are listed in the U.S. and you know, there's rumors of uh, a Nasdaq listing. So you know, they're they're doing quite well. But they, I'm, t- I'm just trying to understand the market capitalization or, or cash or something like that. You know, oh, also I, like I don't. Picked. Yeah, like so they're so they're roughly. I mean, the last count I heard was they have roughly 50 million in the treasury. Um, they're uh, um, you know they have. Their their primary channel to market is Allied, which is one of the I think the third or fourth largest defense contractor. Um, so they're, you know, I, I don't track their current market cap, but I probably can pull it up quickly. But okay, uh, okay, but yeah. it's it's kind of important to know because you want to you want to pick the right mm-hmm. people because you want to know they're still going to be yeah. around in a year or two. Um, oh yeah, so let me answer that part of the question. Sure. So you know, how do we pick? What you're really asking me is how did we pick Dragonfly? And we didn't just come to them. So we spent the first year while I was chair, I went out and interviewed four different, like, let's, you know, call it what it is, you know, in the, in the geotechnical services sector, there's a few drone companies out there providing these services. And so why go with Dragonfly? Um, and the reason that we, we ended up going with them after we literally, I talked to four different companies. The reason we ended up going with them is because of their core engineering capability. So they have a deep sensor engineering team in addition to their, um, to their drone engineering team. So we're a software company. We're not a hardware company, so you need to know what your knitting is and stick to it. And so we, we you know, our ability to go to market with a, a landmine detection solution without a hardware component was impossible. So there are kind of three fundamental risks. One is how do you build, how do you get, um, how do you get in and start, allow the military to procure, right? So you need a, a procurement vehicle. We didn't have it. Number two. How do you deploy and operationalize a platform so that service personnel can actually go out and do the decontamination of land? Well, that means you need a hardware and software solution. We were the software solution. We're not really a hardware company. Don't really have the capital to be able to build that stuff out. So we needed to partner. So identified a partner who had uh, had operations globally. The Dragonfly fly currently flies drones all over the world. Um, has um, an existing contracting vehicle with the U.S. military. Has an in-house hardware engineering team. Is currently building out multiple types of payload drones. So everything from uh, military types. Um, um, applications to cargo applications and these you know mining these sensors the mags and the um, um lidar and stuff they're heavy right so it's not like you can just attach it to any drone you need a very strict set of specifications in order to be able to um um to be able to use these sensors and then you know given what we wanted to do we wanted the ability to optimize those sensors for the problem that we were we were trying to solve and we didn't have that hardware engineering expertise so they had all of these kind of checkbox. It took us a year and a bit to find them. Um, we started working with them just as COVID hit in 2020, and now you know in 2021 March we got our um, our first pilot, our, our proof of concept done. Right. So they they work across a number of verticals and, to, and re- therefore revenue streams. Um, yes, w- where yeah. does the detection component sit in terms of importance? It sits. Um, we work across. Yeah. So in in their business priority. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we are the, I would put it, you know, number one or number two 
in the mining set in the mining side. So we're their exclusive AI provider. They and when they work with companies providing drone services for data augment for for surveying, they refer us in. So that I would say, <clears throat> and they resell our service. So that's that's I would say we're right at the top on the um, on the defense on the public safety side. You know they're primarily providing military drones, right? I mean, I don't know what those drones do. The military doesn't typically tell you what they're going to do with their drones. Um, but, you know, what I would say is, is that, you know, the, once you get past what things military would typically do with a drone, then you've got to deal with what's left afterwards, right? And so, you know, it's a priority we've done, you know, they invested $500,000 in our company. Um, so, you know, that's, an, that's enough to... Um, you know, to kind of check a box that it's important enough that they're putting some capital against it. Right. Okay. Um, have you planned or, or sorry, um, got a view as to what type of revenue you're expecting from this part of the business? Not not the resources side. Yeah. I want the detection side. I'm just, I'm just for intrigued because it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of unusual as well. Right? It is unusual. Yeah. Right. So so there's there's three two, three types of revenue. The most immediate short-term revenue is actually revenue from governments to validate the technology. Um, and, you know, in another life, we were able to raise $5 million in revenue um, just from governments looking to validate and test the technology. So that's government contracts to do kind of field testing. They pay you to do that testing. So that's an immediate short-term services revenue. Not a lot of high leverage there uh, because you actually have to you know, go do the test, but it's basically customer-funded R&D. You don't have to pay for it out of your pocket. And in the, in the first year and 18 months, that's probably what majority of the revenue looks like. It's revenue from governments looking to seek localization of the technology towards their you know their um, operational context and then as we look beyond that then it'll be and the platform is validated in theater with a couple of different governments you know in the ukraine you know maybe in afghanistan maybe in thailand and vietnam that area um cambodia rather uh, vietnam that area then you can look at a broader contracting vehicle that would be you know, from our perspective, we would like to see royalties. So, you know, we've seen prices, a competitive product is roughly $900,000. Um, you know, that's from um, Caterpillar. They have a competitive um, uh, bulldozer that is fully armored. It's called yeah. a D9 yeah. and it just turns Shreds. everything up shreds yeah. everything up yeah, yeah. that's around 900 grand um you know we believe one of our platforms we could fully deploy for around 250 grand that includes the dr drone and everything um so that's a significant savings over over kind of an existing technology but isn't the, the sh shredder dealing with the issue not just identifying yours is identifying there's still in a cost on top of whatever you charge right yeah the issue with the with those um devices is maintenance the ongoing maintenance sure. every time you clear a field what ends up happening is you know you're going to have to repair the device. So, you know, there's the, on, yeah, you know, you get, there's no cheap way to solve this problem. You know, you either have a massive human toll if it's a, and frankly, many of these um, um, armed forces have individuals with, with uh, ground penetrating radar and metal detectors, you know, going out in the field. And so, yeah, you know, there's a potential human cost. There's a potential, there, there's the ongoing cost of the actual, you know, these big tractors are not cheap. How do you get them out there? How do you, you know, service them out there. So, you know, a smaller drone that is more portable, we have to do the, we have to do the commercial analysis, but I believe there's a more that it, it can cash flow, be cash flow positive through the R&D phase. So as long as we're able to continue to do that, you know, it, it's worthwhile from an investor perspective, continue advancing the technology.
Yeah, so actually you're, you may get government grants, however the money comes in, but yeah. through, through R&D. So the R&D self-funding, which is great, it's not necessarily rev, revenue because you've got, you've got to spend the money and, and plow the money back That's in. Right. So you're not expecting any you know, profit from that. This bit. This is bad. The end goal which is getting contracts. So um, how does that process take? Because I'm just I'm always in, I'm always intrigued by this because the longer these things go go on, you know, I guess the better a user is in the sense that they are keeping uh, faith in you. But at some point, you could they've got to drop the hammer and say, right, here's a contract. Well, look, like, you know, the reality of this problem is it's been around since 1918, and it's still not solved. So, you know, whereas there are other problems that you kind of have a time a clock on, you know, I think the clock's long expired on this one. And okay. so if there was a good solution, you know, I think, and there have been solutions given a technical context, what we have today is a set of new technical contexts, which are creating that innovation. So I, I like, you know, NATO is slow, right? It's not going to happen in, in six months, right? So I think you've got one to two years to prove it out. And then as you prove it out, they will progressively purchase more and more. Okay, so it's, it's kind of on the back burner, but in that sense, you're not reliant on it. You, 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 no. you want to focus, and so do I in a second, um, uh, around the resource component. But tell me, just I want to know exactly what you're providing, because all around the world, there's, there, like I say, tens of millions of these landmines, you know, well-known yes, well right. problem, well-documented, lots of personalities jumping on, on the bandwagon to make people aware of that. But um, your product does what? Because they, they and, and people know where they are broadly. You're saying that you are broadly product, where they are. Broadly, exactly. right? So you're saying we can identify per, by landmine precisely where each one is? That's exactly it, yeah. Right. Yeah, so so where, where so you know, I was on a call with um, an investor the other day and he was running a tour group in Cambodia um, and uh, he was telling me the story of he was doing a hike in a jungle and um, not a jungle, I don't know if it was exactly a jungle, but you know, in an overbrush area. And it was, this is an area where people regularly hike. It wasn't something crazy. Um, and uh, one, of his, uh, one of his tour members went off the trail. And so he went off the trail to go and grab the guy. And he looked to his left and six inches away was a, was a landmine, six inches. And so he missed it by literally half a foot. And this is not like, oh, some jungle in the middle of nowhere. This is a tour guide with guys in their 40s and 50s who are just trying to see a temple in Cambodia. Like, you know, it can, it can touch your life pretty quickly. So that's really where we're want, we want to focus is we want to focus on, you know, good news is there's a great database of all the different types of landmines. So with our technology, we can create these landmine signatures. And so, and we know which landmines were deployed in which broad areas. So now the next step is, you know, rather than tearing the entire field up or tearing up an entire road and setting back development by, you know, 10 years, instead, can we be surgical about the, about the location and extraction and thereby, you know, make things safer? Okay, cool. I'm going to I'm going to Cambodia at Christmas. That's a rather depressing story. I don't want to hear that. Um, <laughs> Sorry let, about that. <laughs> let's let's go. Let's get on to a resource because I think that's where the near, near term revenue and growth comes from. Um, and again, yeah. there's a lot of people competing for those dollars. But the interesting bit that you, you've done is you framed it as a zero carbon solution. You're going to so okay from from the top. I know you've explained some of the things from, from the top. What are you hoping to do? 
So it really starts with less environmental impact. So there's, you know, the governments of the world, Canada is a great one, US, um, Australia have done a phenomenal job getting primary primary data, right, for the resource sector. Um, it's in lots of different forms in lots of different places. And so, you know, one of the big challenges geologists have is that they have to go and A, get the data, they have to normalize it, they have to set their, you know, make sure that they're looking at things at the right resolution. And all of that is a very manual process. And, you know, it's augmented by going and walking a claim, right? You drop, take a helicopter out to the middle of nowhere and you walk around and you look at rocks, right? Um, and so really what we think is, is that, you know, that hasn't fundamentally changed in whatever, a hundred years, right? Um, drones made, of, you know, helicopters were in fixed wing were a big improvement, but resolution and quality becomes an issue. And then drones were the next kind of big improvement, but there really hasn't been anything in terms of a major advancement other than satellite imagery, which I think is, you know, has made a big difference as well. So how could you get, keep the geologist in his office or in her office? And less time out in the field because being out in the field is expensive. And so that's where the fundamental thesis came to. Um, I think originally was there might be a way if you could get if you could if you could engineer the data in such a way, put it in a place where people could search it easily, add to it where they needed to, and then have an algorithm that looked for patterns. There might be something there, and you know we're not the first company to come up with this. You know, there's people have tried it in different iterations. Um, you know, we we are I think unique because we've been doing it for a long time, and whereas a lot of companies um, that like our competitors have started in the last five years, you know, our first discovery was in 2006. So you know that's a long time ago. Um, so we've got the track record. One of the things that uh, whenever you deal with any form of algorithmic technology is you can you can draw a, lot, a, a target, a square on a map, but until somebody goes and drills that, it's, you know, it's an academic exercise. And so that feedback loop in the resource sector is, is very long. It takes a long time for a square and a map to get drilled and then results to come back out. And people are not, people are not hard up for targets, right? Geologists got a lot of them. Right. The question is, which ones do you go drill and how much does it cost you to go drill them? So the essence of our business plan is to be able to do, to do if you have an existing project, come to Windfall and then we will independently in a differential, basically a differential analysis, come up with targets on our own and you can overlay them on yours. And then you can see and prioritize where you want to go drill first. So if you have 25 targets on your potential targets on your claim, Windfall produces two that overlap with yours. Why not go there first, right? You've already identified them. We've identified them. You've just, in some ways, very much de-risked um, de you know, your, your drill program. And, you know, if you hit, which you know, our belief is you will. Otherwise, why would we take equity participation in your, in your business? Like that's kind of throwing money away. Um, we believe you'll hit and you'll get the return for it. So that's first part of it. Existing business, existing claim. You're a GL, a VP of exploration, and um, you want to, um, you know, get better ROI on the capital you've raised for your drill program. Um, second, public data, not everything's claimed. Right. There's lots of land in this country in Canada and in Australia and in Chile and in the Nevada that's unclaimed. What if we could take the signature of a 
uh, a set of, uh, of a mind that's in operation and chase the vein, chase the mass off the claim using public data. So that's the second part of our business model is we look where existing operating minds are, where mills are, and then we try to chase that project out of the existing claim area and then stake our own claims. Why is that good for investors? Well, that mill has to be fed. And at some point, that mill is going to need more, need, more, um, need more ore. And if we're able to identify a target that's close by, that's going to have value. Whether there's they, anybody drills it or not, it's going to have value to the operator of that mine as a potential for the future. So that's the second way we make money is we stake our own claims. When we do that, what we try to do is we try to go to the local companies and we say, do you want to option this for an NSR? That's kind of number one. Nope, nobody wants to. All right, well, what if we go ahead and roll it into its own entity? And so we would then work with an investment group, turn it into its own project. That's the project generator component. And then you know, take it public. Of course, we are getting shares at pre-IPO, pre-RTO valuation, and we still keep the NSR on the, on the, uh, on the project. So that's kind of the second part of the, the business model. And then the last is that, you know, and this is emerging, um, is this idea that we're going to build this platform, this data platform, because we're going to have all the public data already normalized in certain areas. Like we're starting with Canada, we're going to the US, we're looking at Australia, we want to look at Africa as well. And at some point, we're going to get to a critical mass where we've got this data in AWS in a, uh, in a format that it's now with a front end that geologists can now use it. It becomes a data source. So we're figuring out the business model on that front. Um, but the view there is, is that being the data source for the, re for the exploration industry is a third potential revenue model. You could monetize it with licensing. You could monetize it with um, a success fees. I, again, similar to how we do the other stuff, which is, you know, you can upload all your data for free. You can use it for free. But if you generate a target, we want a piece of it. You're spending a lot of money creating these products. That, that's what strikes me here. You've got products which have long-term potential revenue streams. So you've got to sell that to the market. And you're the, I think you're the, maybe the fifth company we've spoken to in the last 12 months looking, well, certainly the last product in terms of taking the public data and Yep. applying your own algorithms to it. So, th so there's competition from that front. So it's a question of then how do you stand out and how, how, why That's should people question. leave your version, right? So yeah. um, how much more money, how much more time do you think you, you're going to need before you can start seeing the benefits of this productization of this data? So I built my last company um, that I sold in 2010 for $210 million on $1.2 million in paid-in capital. So if you ask about why they should believe my story, um, I'm a technologist proven. Um, and I'm not, gonna I'm not from the mining sector, so I'm not going to come at it with the biases of a, of a mining business. I'm going to come at it with the, with the innovation that comes from, the from being an AI technology founder and startup entrepreneur. And that's, I think it might sound a little egotistical, but it's, it's a non-trivial difference. And you know, for us, our burn rate is less than $100,000 a month. Like you can compare us to any of our competitors, find anyone that has um, a burn rate in that race. You won't find it. Even in the private companies, you won't find so why, it. Why did you so go, we figured out- why, 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 go, why go public? Why raise money? 
if you well, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> right. Because I well, I'll tell you why I didn't the primary reason I didn't have a choice is I didn't have Albert's a public company, which we converted into Windfall, right? So, you know, you're a public company. So now the question is, how do you do you take it private? That's option number one. Um, investors tend not to like that very much. Um, and it tends to cost you a lot of money to do that, which is a lot of risk. Um, so that's why we didn't, you know, that wasn't really an option for me personally, for me to take the business private. Um, so if you're going to be public, you know, why not just start a brand new company, right? Why even do any of this? And so the reason you reason why I personally decided to do it within this vehicle is how do you recreate 15 years of history of validation? But, but, and it, that's something but it was a model which didn't necessarily work. If you look at the, the, the market cap of that company over the 15 years, I mean, it was of a, of a certain level. Like the these... technology did. The technology did work. The model didn't work. But the technology did. And the reason well, the model but, didn't based work. Based on what? Why do you say it worked? Because, you know, the, the, the definition of success in a business is, you know, does it, is it worth something? Is it, you know, is there... Well, that's the financial definition. Right. That's not the technical definition. The financial definition of success is, are you able to create value for shareholders? And frankly, windfall failed miserably. Right. Right. In that, with that definition, are you able to generate value as a services company for the people that buy your services? I don't, in my analysis of the marketplace, and I looked at Goldspot, I looked at, you know, Minerva, I looked at all of these other companies prior to joining um, as chairman. Um, there was no other business that had that track record. I mean, I looked at, you know, the eight, at the time when I joined, there was 86 projects. And then I went back and I cross-referenced those drill targets against public disclosures by companies where they've drilled. There's nobody else that has that closed loop. And so that technology foundation, you can build on. The other stuff, management and business model, you can change. If you don't have that core technology, um, the other stuff, you, you know, if you get right, you have to build it. And in, in my experience in, in AI machine learning, the two things that um, you can't accelerate are time and data. And so the, fa the fact of having you know, close to 100 projects means lots and lots of data has passed through the algorithm. And a time of 15 years means many engineers over many years optimizing a data model. That's, that, that will, doesn't matter if you have $100 million you still will take the time. But where's the value of that created? 15 years ago, you, you know, we, we were looking at you know, satellite technology to identify, you know, what well, you mentioned earlier, water, you know, that, yep. was, the, that was the target. Yep. Um, but the technology is pretty weak. So are you saying in the last few years of that 15 years, they were started actually creating something of value to you? I mean, what, what exactly did you buy? Because it wasn't the people. You've just got rid of a bunch of people. Nope. So nope. tell me exactly why you value what it is that you, you got a hold of with the yeah, it's acquisition. Yeah, it's the data model. It's the data model. What does that mean? So a data model is a, um, a way of collecting different types of data, putting it in a, um, in a framework so that you can generate insight from it. Um, and, you know, the big challenges in machine learning have are one is data is in different formats. And we talked about that before. So being able to actually understand how data relates to each other is difficult, right? Like it's, you need to figure out, you know, things like leveling resolution, you need to have software systems that take care of that stuff for you. Otherwise you have literally guys entering into spreadsheets, this equals this, this equals this, right? And that's just, that's not a, that's not a, a viable way to do anything at scale. So we have this kernel, which is 
a system, which is the card system of ingesting data, taking things in different formats, putting it into a format that is um, that you can now use for analysis. And then you have a series of algorithms that they have built. You know, I can list random forest. There's a bunch of other ones that they've built uh, and optimized to, to execute on that data. And then out comes, you know, a set of ones and zeros. And then you cross and you take those, you drop it onto a, onto a map. And now you can say, hmm, there's something, you could drill something there. Well, that, you know, very three simple three-step process would take years to recreate. And so that's what I purchased. I purchased the acceleration of time right. of having to recreate that. Story. Got it. I'll buy that. Um, then you got rid of some people. Yeah. Why? Why? Um, because the, current, the, the company was set up as a services company and I owned a services company. You don't get any, there's no intrinsic value for shareholders and services companies, right? What do you end up with? You end up with maybe 0.8 next year's revenue as your value. So if you can do 5 million, you get $4 million in market cap. It's a waste of time for investors. Agreed. So, you know, if we were going to stay a services company, there's no point in being, you know, being around. All we're going to do is all the shareholders capital is going to just pay for the salaries of the management team. Right. And that's a waste of time. So you had a disagreement with the, the previous management team and said it's maybe time to move on. You brought who in? Uh, so I brought in Simran, um, who worked with me at Patriot and used to run um, used to run uh, data science for uh, a large uh, um, services business um, in renewable energy and financial services. Again, out of the mining sector. Um, so I brought him in. Um, he's super sharp engineer. Um, I've known him for a decade. Um, I've brought in Steve Appleton. Um, Steve, I've known for two decades. He's a country uh, head of Fortescue, uh, you know, the fourth largest iron ore um, producer in the world. And uh, one of the very few organizations that have committed to a complete carbon neutrality by 2030. Um, and we brought in Nathan uh, Tribble, who's our uh, our, 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 our independent director, and he's with Gatling, and he's a geologist who's got his work with Eric Sprott. And so we're bringing in folks who, you know, get this project generator model, buy into the fact that um, there's a better way of doing things that doesn't require us to get out in the field every time, um, and, and are committed to this carbon neutrality um, uh, kind of imperative. Great. Okay. Um, I want to bring you back to something you just said, right? So you, you've got a track record. So you, 1.2 million bucks in sold for 200 and something million. 200, yeah, 213 million. 213 million. Was that uh, 1.2 million euros? Uh, part, part of it was, not all of it. Um, I was a lot younger then, so I didn't have that much cash in hand. But, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm, Six hundred and something thousand dollars into this one, and you know, I've what I've told uh, what I've told um, uh, my team is, you know, if if capital is required, I'm ready to put the capital in, and we have a core group of very committed investors who are ready to do that. We don't need the cash though. We've got in, you know, with our current burn rate, we've got around two years of uh, of a forward uh, a forward without any revenues. We're sitting on a portfolio of stocks that are that are appreciating. Um, because we've this project generator model we started working on, sorry, this um, um, outcome model we started working on summer last year. So we were able to take positions in Playfair and Chilean Metals and Puma and Orcrest and a bunch of different companies. And those companies, because of commo the commodity sector, copper and other base metals, you know, really, really moving, have all appreciated in value. So we have a very nice little initial portfolio that we've gotten started. The goal is to really 10x that. 
Right. Okay. And so how much of the company do you own? Um, I think I'm at 8%. 8%. Okay. Uh, and the new guys coming in, they, they invested as well, do they? Yeah. yeah. So we have um, Sheldon Intowash, um, who's sitting at 10%. And then we have um, other a couple of other investors. I think between the top 10 investors, we're close to 40% of the, of the, of the business. Okay. And I think, you know, my feeling when you first told me that was that there wasn't a kind of commercial imperative to get this thing making money out of the gate, right? Because you, you want you in terms of the productization here, you've got some long-term revenues. You've got some products which will generate revenue eventually because prospect generation does tend to take a while. NSRs do tend to take a while because you, you've got to- yeah we're, yeah, we're not we're not going to be generating revenue. What we'll be doing is generating returns. Okay, so right. the key thing for me is windfall is is getting pieces of these companies pre RTO pre IPO and you know the sub two cent range, and then they are going to go public, right? Like you know that's that's the way the junior sector works, right? And when they do, you know there will likely be a four month or a six month hold, and then we will you know generate for the projects. We will take we will we'll raise cash. As we need to raise cash from those positions, um, and uh, we'll funnel that cash into new projects. Right. Okay. It's kind of like I'm just going to think of uh, company. So, EMX do this, but without the drones and without the software. Yep. So it's you know. And they, oh, and that's the other part, which I, I sorry I, I didn't talk about that. Right. So we can do that. That's the other thing is the percentage of the money we raise in each of these entities can come back to us to do data augmentation, right? So that's the other part of the business model is we go and we access other capital pools. And then when we go out and provide them the target, they're gonna need data augmentation. So it comes, they will write us a check to bring, to get us to come back in and do, you know, level two, level three analysis. So there will be, you know, it's going to be noise, right? But it's a, you know, let's say it's a couple of million bucks a year. But if your burn is only $100,000 a month, that's all you need. So you can really focus on, on you know, building up that portfolio and generating you know, that long-term return. Okay, okay. Understood, understood. I, I guess, yeah, I just, you know, I get, you know, when re- reading a lot of the commentary in the market, chat rooms, forums, and so forth, people are getting excited about various aspects of the business, but without perhaps understanding the revenue flow, the cash flow. Because if you look at project generator companies, yep. Um, and even you know the royalty component, which I think is going to be some, you know, some ways off, given the model that you're, you've employed here. At the end of the day, you're going to, you'll be judged on cash flow and, and cash on cash returns, those, those sorts of things. Um, the w- w- how realistic? But is that's the- where the short-term projects are really. So that's For where sure. those data projects make For a sure. difference. Um, but you know, I'll be transparent with you. Like the, you know, this is an asset-rich model. It isn't a cash flow model, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm. I, I've run SaaS businesses, right? And I've run services businesses and sold both of those. And you know how I measure my success in that business is radically different here. Like I'm looking at gross margin, I'm looking at OPEX, I'm looking at quarter over quarter revenue growth. Those are all the key measures. Yeah. You know, I don't look at my um, CapEx expenditure on R&D and go, ooh, that's something I should be proud of because it, it doesn't generate, like you said, cash on cash returns. And so I can't get, I can't get the intrinsic value from the discounted cash flows. But in this case, you're, we're building an asset base, right? And so as, your, as long as your asset base covers the, the free cash flow from your asset base, covers your burn, we've achieved that goal, 
goal, goal, the, the, the goal of not raising more money. And from a shareholder's perspective, if you don't have to raise more money, you don't get dilution. That means your, your stock becomes more and more valuable. That's a good friend of mine said, the get rich slow scheme. Nothing the wrong get with rich that. Slow scheme. Okay, yeah. good. Dinesh, you're going to come back on and talk to us again soon, um, which I'm really pleased about because I do like these sorts of companies when there's a good business model and when people are really clear about how they deliver it. So um, let's wrap it up today. Really nice introduction sure. um, to Thank you. your Thank story. Thank you so much. I do appreciate great it. Great questions. Um, really, really great questions. And uh, yeah, so stay in touch. We'll see you soon, okay? We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.